From FasterMind.co, this is Converge, the Business of Creativity podcast. I'm Dane Sanders. Converge is a show about that space, that tension between the stuff you make and making money or something valuable from your stuff. The show lives where creativity and business collide, giving all of us the opportunity to rethink how we work and live in the digital economy. On this episode of Converge, we're going to try something a little different. Normally on the show, I play an interview with a success story who's found their way to thrive in the tension of making and making money. And that part we've got. You're going to love my guest. His name is Josh Muccio, and he hosts a podcast called The Pitch. Think Shark Tank, but on the radio and way, way, way better. Now, fans of Converge might remember that Josh was on our show before, back when he was still in his garage. He was just heading into his second season of The Pitch, and I was so impressed by his ability to entertain while he educated listeners on what it takes to actually pitch investors for real money. Now, when I interviewed him, these were early days for Josh, and even though he was winning and we all were cheering, if you listen to the tape, to his tone, you can hear in his voice that he was still feeling the pressure of what it takes to consistently make something good and have to make it good on your own. Check out this little clip from that interview to get a feel of what I mean. I feel like you fill in so many of those gaps and it becomes certainly entertaining, but more than that, it's also highly educational. Absolutely, Dane. I love how you're breaking this down. This is good. I'm like getting more excited about my own show as I talk to you about this. So this is good because I've got a lot of work to do on season two, like getting that one paired right now. You know, in your first year as a podcaster, first of all, to be a podcaster and make money at all is extraordinary. If your name is There's so many poor podcasters. Out it's there. extraordinary. I mean, unless you're Alex Bloomberg at Gimlet, it's, it's just a big deal to do that. But what's amazing is just a few weeks after I had Josh on the show, this happened. Hello, and welcome to Startup, the show about what it's really like to start a business. I'm Alex Bloomberg. I'm back in the seat, as I am from time to time, to talk about a new show that we are launching at Gimlet. That's right. Josh took his homemade idea and baked it into something so good that one of the biggest names in podcasting decided to buy it. This is what Josh sounds like when he opens the pitch nowadays. I'm Josh Muccio. Welcome to The Pitch from Gimlet Media. Gimlet actually did a whole story on how that all went down. We put a link to it in the show notes at convergepodcast.com if you want to listen. It's fantastic. But today, we're having Josh on again to share a slightly different angle, one where we get to hear from his own mouth what before and after actually felt like. What has he learned? What would he do different? What were the trade-offs of getting picked, and what would he have done if he hadn't been? It turns out there's always a lot more to the story, and in this narrative about getting discovered, perhaps the biggest part is that getting chosen was just the beginning. Well, Josh Michio, welcome to Converge. Thanks, Dane. It's so good to be back. You know, a lot has happened for you since we last spoke. Uh, <laughs> a little, yeah. <laughs> for folks who are just catching up, I'll give the quick play-by-play -play and then I'd love for you to jump in from there. But a while back, I had the big surprise to happen for me was Josh graciously put this podcast, Converge, on a list. And the reason I found out about it was because we got this massive spike in traffic on the podcast. And uh, I was like, where did this come from? And in researching it, we discovered we, were, we made this list on this cool website yeah. called thepitch.fm. And uh, 
uh, we uh, no use in going there now, although I'm sure it forwards. Um, <laughs> it forwards, yeah. yeah. Uh, and I'll explain more about that in a second. But uh, you reached out and you did that. And it was so generous of you. And you put us on this list of the the most important podcasts to listen to for founders, and entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs, or something yeah. like that. And uh, so generous. And then I had the chance to interview you and talk to you about your your show called The Pitch, which is – forgive me in advance for the reference because it's, it's got to be tired by now. But it's basically <laughs> – it's Shark Tank for a podcast, but way better. Without the bullshit. You're right. You're right. <laughs> so anyway, so that happened. And uh, you, you know, you're doing gangbusters. All these folks are paying attention. Uh, it's like a mainstay podcast for so many people, especially in the business space. And I don't know if you remember this or not, but in the interview, I actually said, like, dude, you're so big right now. The only thing that would make you bigger would be if Alex Bloomberg from Gimlet Media called you up and said, let's do something. You did together. not. I did. No way. Check the tape. It's on there. It's hilarious. And I, Oh my gosh. And, when and I, what did I say? Did I, just, I just probably laughed. I, you did laugh. In fact, exactly. Just like you did right now. That's exactly what happened. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. You called it. Well, you know, it is hilarious how these things happen. Like side note, and I have another experience with another former Gimlet Media employee who I did a similar call where I suggested that she, it's certainly kind. She was on the show and we talked about, I said, when you're on the tonight show, blah, blah, blah. And then like three weeks later, she's on Conan for her. Uh, so it's so funny. I, <laughs> yeah. I rarely have anything that ever works out right, but two in a row with Gimlet. I'm, Man. I'm pretty impressed with myself. Feel free to make some more predictions today. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. I'm on board. Well, okay. So, and to catch people up, Alex Bloomberg actually called and let me hand the baton to you and explained if you could explain sure. to our crew, like what happened? What was the story? I reached out to Alex. I don't know how, when this was. This was probably late 2015 or early 2016, and he did not respond. <laughs> so perhaps even when we talked, I had already tried to, to get in touch with Alex. Didn't work out. Well, I think the last time we had talked, we were all excited because we were finally having live investments happen on the show. Right. And it was this giant leap forward from the old format of the show, which was more just your traditional talk show. But you know, around startups and, and investment to this real live investments happening on the show. And so I, I was really excited about what we had, but we hadn't published any of it yet. We were in the production process. So I actually reached out to Alex Bloomberg's co-founder of Gimlet Media, Matt Lieber. If for those of you who don't know Gimlet, that's possible, like theoretically. <laughs> It's possible, but uh, if you, you'd have to be living under a rock, if, though, I, would think. <laughs> the, it, I still think the best way if people want to, you can go to Gimlet Media and check it out. Listen to season one of Startup. It's the quickest way to meet, to learn who Matt is, to learn who Alex is, to hear the whole story. If you're familiar with This American Life, uh, Alex is a student of Ira Glass and uh, NPR Land and Planet Money. And anyways, what they've created is this juggernaut in the audio media world and actually storytelling media world beyond audio now. Anyways, that's the quick context, but. You're in this conversation with Matt. Take it from there. So I'm in this conversation with Matt and, you know, he's like, oh, that sounds great. Let me know when things are a little bit farther along. And of course, I was just thrilled that he was replying to me via email. This would have been October of 2016, somewhere around there. What did he mean when he said went further along? How? Where? What does that mean? Well, so I, all I basically had was this recording. So I'd done this recording event. Investors had committed to invest in companies but, you know, like it was this long. So basically I had this long hour long conversation between investors and founders. And then at the end, like, you know, investors either said, yes, I want to invest or no. And here's the reasons why it's raw tape. And most of it's like not that interesting. So but there are moments that are very, very interesting. So I knew we had the, the work ahead of us. 
and and I'd always admired narrative driven shows. And I imagined that if there was something where we could create like a reality TV show, but narrative driven and like much, much deeper. And so that was the goal. But I mean, to do that, you're talking like you have to have writers. You need to be you need to understand the editorial process. You need to go through edits, several versions of each episode before you publish it. I mean, my desire was to have like scoring and music, you know, to help amp up dramatic moments and like move you through the story. So there's all these different pieces. And I don't know what the hell I'm doing, of course, but I knew Hey, I've got something good on my hands. And so my reach out to Matt Lieber, and I think the title of my email to him was Amazing Tape. And you can actually hear Matt's perspective of this story. There's actually an episode of Startup called Introducing the Pitch from 2017 sometime that tells this whole story. And then there's this conversation that I had with my wife right after getting the offer. I'm kind of skipping ahead in the story, but it's probably the one of the best ways to tell the story from from their perspective. It was a really great episode. And that's how we actually launched on their platform. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, it was basically like I'd reached out to a bunch of people, including Matt, and said, like, I have this amazing tape. What do I do with it? You know, and if he would have said, that sounds amazing. Let's listen to the tape. Let's build a team around this and and launch, you know, the pitch on Gimlet. I would have said yes, but he didn't. He said, you know, touch based with me when this thing's a little bit farther along and you actually created something out of this tape. Mm. That's what I started doing. And luckily, I would built a couple other relationships with people in the public radio system. Like Devin Taylor ended up becoming our editor. She was an editor on the show Millennial. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you've heard of um, that, that show that was on Radiotopia. Yeah. And I think a couple other Radiotopia shows she'd worked on. Anyway, heard her in the credits for that, reached out to her. She ended up editing our show. And she's still with the show today, actually, and a big part of the writing and the whole editorial direction of the show. Um, she has a huge input there. So, yeah. And then we, we brought on producers. I think I was the one scoring those original episodes amazing. before we got brought on to Gimlet. So the scoring wasn't uh, that amazing at the time. But, yeah, basically spent from October, August, October, somewhere. Yeah, August, September, October time frame till January of 2017 when we started to publish that first episode from that live recording event where there was live investments. And the first episode you can listen to is called Baby Scripts. It's the first thing in the feed on the show now. But yeah, published that episode. But at the same time, maybe maybe a couple days before publishing that first episode, I reached out to Matt Lieber again and said, hey, the episode's finished. You know, I use the same comparison just because it's a, a lazy, easy comparison. You know, I was like, hey, it's like Shark Tank, but way better, way deeper. It's for entrepreneurs. If you have a second, listen, you know, and like if he hadn't had a second, I think it was a Saturday morning that I emailed him. And as generous as he was to actually take the time to listen, this guy gets so many emails, right? Okay. I can't believe he listened. Anyway, he did within like two hours of the email I'd sent, responds back and is like, hey, this is great. This is amazing. Do you need any help with distribution? I think startup would really like this ads, you know, like all these things. I'm like, um, are you, what, what are you saying right now? I'm like, do you want to hop on a call? He calls me that night. Come on. Saturday night. And I remember it was a cold January day. Well, relatively cold for what cold is for me in Sarasota, Florida, and uh, was walking around outside because like the call came. I you know I gave him my phone number, but wasn't sure if he was going to call. It came. I was like walking around freezing cold, barefoot outside, and uh, 
Yeah. I mean, basically there was no commitment there. It was kind of just like, Hey, this is interesting. Let's talk more. I have to, of course, talk to my partner. I don't know if you know him, Alex Bloomberg. And I was like, yeah, yeah, of course. Of course I know who Alex Bloomberg is. So that's how it started. And it took a while before, you know, the deal became official. We actually kept publishing the, these episodes independently. But eventually they asked us in the middle of us publishing the episodes to stop publishing because they wanted to bring the show on Gimlet. And uh, again, there's a whole episode on Startup called Introducing the Pitch that like tells that story. I'm very proud to have an episode on Startup that's mine. Well, that's just the beginning. So if I'm tracking on this, so you're basically in a, in a metaphorical garage building your own <laughs> thing and yeah. you've been slowly incrementing up. And as you're improving the value of like, if no one ever calls, if you never get picked, you're still putting in the work to build the thing that you want to build a lot like our listeners who are like, they have a lot of folks who are at home, right. you know, they're freelancers or small business owners. They don't even have an idea of like, or even an interest and probably shouldn't even position to be picked. Uh, that probably isn't the best use of their time is my guess. But yet, so you were doing this and it was happening, creating a lot of value. But then while you were doing that, you were networking on the side, developing all these relationships, the Devin Taylors of the world. And you're letting people know, hey, I'm doing this. By the way, I'm still doing this. Hey, this is really cool. I'm so <laughs> intrigued by your subject line of your email. Amazing tape. And I, I you know, again, how could you not open that if, you, <laughs> if you're running a, a podcast company, right? Well, you're going to open it. Or when people hear that that's what the subject line is, every email that Matt gets is oh, the subject line. <laughs> sorry, Matt. <laughs> it's amazing tape. How did he respond about that? Did he ever comment on the subject line or why he opened it? Yeah, he did. I don't know if that ever made it into the episode of Startup, but we talked for a while on that. And he actually talked about what makes for a good email. And I've talked about this before, even even before getting at Gimlet, but just how to write like a cold email that people are actually going to open. I, I haven't been doing this as well lately, but I used to try to send a cold email to someone I didn't know, but wanted to know every single day. Hmm. Because you know, I live in Sarasota, Florida, that there's not, there's not a big startup ecosystem here, basically non-existent. Sorry, Sarasota folks. I was trying to build my network outside of the city. So I had to think, I had to leverage the internet. I had to leverage technology. And so I know email is like the oldest internet te technology ever, but it actually is a great way to kind of open the door to these very real relationships. Whereas, you know, a follow on Twitter may not turn into a real relationship. But if you get to someone to respond via email, you know, maybe you can end up setting up a call and, you know, establishing some rapport there. So like, yeah, like that's been part of, of my DNA for a while. I just knew that like, without building some of these relationships, I'm one guy in Sarasota, Florida, you know, working with my wife on this project and hoping it takes off, but, you know, feeling pretty unqualified and needing help. So the networking piece, which for me was just sending emails was, gosh, I guess I wouldn't be where I'm at without that. I know my listeners are at home going, what does he put in the emails? Like, what is the magic sauce of this one a day cold email? If, if someone was at home and they're like, I'm going to like a whole 30 or something, I'm going to do this for 30 days just to try it out. Any quick tips on how they should think about their cold emails? I mean, I can look up the one that I sent to Matt. I mean, but as far as principles of it, I think the basics of what I sent to Matt was number one, hey, I'm a huge fan of Gimlet. Number two, how is like the last season? So they had just launched their fall slate, which would have been at fall 2016 of shows, which was like twice removed. I think maybe Crime Town, a couple others, but a bunch of really great shows had come out. And so I was asking like, 
how's the launch going? Like, I'm sure that you guys are crushing it. I absolutely love homecoming. I have a soft spot for fiction. And then I said, you know, Hey, if you have a minute, I'm doing this thing. It's like shark tank, but in podcast form. And of course, way, way better. We're just, we're going to publish this on Wednesday. If you have a second to listen before then, that would be great. You know, kind of stroked his ego a little bit. It showed that I was a fan of what he was doing. It showed that it was not a massively sent spam email. The subject line, as we talked about earlier, was, you know, amazing tape, which like, again, you have to think about who your person is that you're talking to and like, what are they looking for? What are they going to find interesting? That's kind of how I approached it there. And I think that's like a rough outline that you can use to approach just about anyone. I get the stroking go piece, but it actually is just telling them that you're not a lucky Lou tire kicker. You're, yeah, you're actually, right. you care about the stuff they're talking about. You made it personal. The subject line was great. And it also sounds like the, the ask wasn't too outrageous. You weren't asking for them to pick you up. You weren't asking them for funding. And also that, that single line of being able to describe your show so elegantly, I'm guessing that made a big difference too. Yeah, it's true. Cause they, they have to know what to expect or like why to listen. I would think for most people, if you're just trying to build a relationship with someone, it's not often, hey, listen to this piece of audio. It's more like, hey, do you want to hop on a call and see if there's something here, if there's ways we can work together? But you have to, at some point, distill that down to like why they should talk to you or like what's what's in it for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. All right. So I also need to ask, because I never asked this last time we were together, why do you give a rip about this medium and why did you and your wife kind of- Podcasting? Yeah. Yeah. How did you get into the game? But I mean, it's really, for me, it's like, it's so cool to think of having a, a conversation with someone like around a campfire or like meeting someone and having like a deep, meaningful conversation or heck, like having a mastermind group where you're meeting with people consistently and that they end up building this relationship with you or with each other that feels valuable, that feels meaningful, like really true friends. The fact that I get to do that in a scalable way on a podcast where people who are you know, we have a lot of people in like kids in school listening to this, to the pitch, and like they're going to make less mistakes in business, or they're going to be encouraged to like start the business idea or their first one that, that like they aren't sure they should do. They're going to like get the motivation to do it because of our show. And like, maybe that thing is the thing, or maybe it leads to something down the road. And like that little spark of like, I'm going to try this thing was, is what leads them and teaches them that like they can be an entrepreneur and they can take risks and it's worth the risk. Like to me, the fact that I can do that on a scalable level and because of how voice works and like the people listening to podcasts, like it's such a relational thing. Like to me, it feels so, so special and it just doesn't feel like any other media. And that ultimately is like why I get really excited about what we're doing. And Honestly, I was inspired by season one of Startup when that came out. Um, that first episode where Alex Bloomberg pitches Chris Saka and oh, I remember it so. I remember, I remember when he is I, literally. I was in my bedroom with my wife. Well, she did not want me. I had headphones on, but she didn't want me listening to anything. I was literally <laughs> as he as he's recording his evening existential crisis under the covers. I was listening under the covers to him oh recording. Okay. <laughs> so I totally met like, And of course, then Chris Saka goes on Shark Tank of all things. It was hilarious. Total side note is a guy in my faith community. I'm part of a church here in Southern California. Oh yeah, and his son was Chris Saka's assistant. So it was this weird, like, one oh. degree of separation deal. And anyways, I've been watching from a distance for some time, but I know exactly what you're describing. And I could see why it, it had to have 
inspired a lot of folks. I mean, this is pre-serial, even though This American Life was still was big for so many years, and NPR, obviously, it was kind of a, an amazing thing that Alex did with that project. I think it was a watershed moment for a lot of people who are in radio now who that inspired. And I don't know what it is about that project in particular, like why not serial or something else. And I don't know if it's because it was more everyday life. It's just this guy starting a business, you know, like nobody died, but it's also incredibly riveting and interesting. I don't know. Maybe it's, I, I think you hit it on the head. I think it's because it's possible. You listen to serial and you're like, I could never pull off what Sarah pulls out. Like there's no way. And I know there was a lot more to it. And in fact, it's funny, Alex did a course on Creative Live, which is, I think, a derivative of his course he taught at Columbia or something that I watched. Mm -hmm. It was so good. And I think that also expanded like, wow, there's a lot that goes into telling a good story. Here's some practical elements to do it. Here's even that, um, I have it on my shelf, Out on the Wire book came out shortly after that where it explained kind of, it, it was- The cartoon Yeah, one? the cartoon one. Or yeah. Yeah. Where it de- kind of demystified the long form narrative storytelling. I bought that book. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of super practical tips in there. Uh, yeah. Whether you run a talk show or like doing anything in radio, like read that book, like it will change how you think about what you do. Yeah. It's out in the wire by Jessica Abel, I think. Anyways, so all that said, he gave this impression that jokers like me could, <laughs> could actually pull something like this off. And I, it kind of ruined me. I mean, it's so funny. Before we started, you guys at home don't know this, but we turned on our videos for this call and, and we're t- comparing like setups. And I'm a high committed geek DIY uh, amateur over here. It's because of freaking Alex Bloomberg. He ruined me. I'm so moved by what you guys are doing at Gimlet. It's incredible. So that was your background with your wife. You're just kind of engaged, but then you took the leap. You got educated somehow. What did you do? It was trying to work with those people. I have to say that like, so Devin Taylor, for example, our editor, I brought her on and instantly knew that. So I actually thought I was hiring something different than what she thought because the language, the vernacular they use from the public radio system and what we would think of when we hear the word editor, we would think, oh, that's a person that like edits the tape and rearranges the scenes. Like, no, actually that would be like a producer or as they say in the radio world, someone who cuts tape. But an editor is actually more like an editorial role that you'd have in a newspaper or something like that where they're thinking big picture, they aren't getting caught in the weeds. They're more looking at the script of things and the plot points and like how everything works out. Anyway, so I quickly learned that I was like, kind of in over my head with the job description that I laid out. And I have to thank like Jay Allison and the folks at Transom. I've had Jay on the show. He's amazing. I so love that I, guy. He was one of the people that I reached out to, told him that I had this quote unquote amazing tape that I didn't know what to do with, but I knew I needed to build a team. And so he sent around the job description and I ended up talking to a whole bunch of folks who were interested. All of them would have worked on the show remotely because I'm in Sarasota, Florida, and there was nobody interested in radio around here. Sarasota is a great place, by the way. <laughs> That's your open I'm, too, I'm really, Are you sure? Are you sure you I'm like really it? really dissing on this place. I feel bad. <laughs> no, I love living here. Unfortunately, there's just not a lot of people who do what I do or live in the two world. I live in like the radio world and the startups world. Like That's my, you know, my nexus right there. But there's just not that many people here that are in those worlds. Did you ever do the Jay Allison? I'm not sure if Jay runs it or not, but that that workshop they do up in in Maine. 
So no, I never have. And I think that was part of what I said to him when I emailed. It was like half apologizing for that. Like, hey, I've never been to any of your workshops, but I'm interested. Tell me when you're coming to Florida. Also, I need to bring, you know, I need to hire this team. Can you help me out? Luckily, he was gracious. But believe it or not, they're traveling radio clinics. They just like Gimlet just had them come in and do it at Gimlet HQ. I wasn't Amazing. there because I'm working remotely, so I didn't get that. But uh, all of the the members of our team, our two producers now, um, Kareem and Molly and Devin, our editor, all went through the Transom radio workshop at Gimlet. So for those of you interested in learning about radio, it's the same training tool that we're using internally at massive uh, podcasting company. So for folks at home in context, and I've referenced this before on past shows, but Jay Allison started the Moth podcast and he's done so much behind the scenes. And that episode with him is actually, if you want to get to know radio, it's great, but just go to transom.org, whether you want to buy gear, you want to learn how to storytell, you want to take their workshop. It's, it's fantastic for that kind of long form approach to storytelling. Yeah. Uh, and we'll put all the stuff in the show notes, but. And they okay, have a great so- podcast called How Sound. House, I love House Sound. I've listened to every episode. I think yeah. he's one of the the better technical, like explaining how to do this work practically. It's really great. There's so much to it. So yeah. So for context, so to get our bearings, all this really cool thing happened. We went back in time, figured out what motivated you to get involved, how you got your big break. And it's not like this was the only thing that ever happened, but it was a, an important moment in your career. Oh, it's huge. Yeah. And now you're with Gimlet. What does life look like today compared to back then? Very different. So I'm actually able to focus on getting really, really good as a host and executive producer on the show instead of wearing as many hats as I did before. So, I mean, I was doing everything like, you know, I think part of the reason why I was writing all those emails to people cold that I haven't met before is because I was like business development. Right. And then I was, you know, sending emails to prospective sponsors for the show and like cutting $30,000 and $40,000 advertising deals for episodes of the show and like doing all of these things manually and like learning a lot along the way. But it was just, it was just so hard to, to do everything. I'm just one show. And I also was like getting to the point where I was like, oh my goodness, like to really make money here, I need to have a whole bunch of shows. Like I need to create a network. And so all of these things that I was starting to run into and so then when I joined or when the opportunity came to join Gimlet, it was like, oh, hell yeah. Like, like I'm going to be able to join this and instantly the thing that I've created is going to be 10 times more valuable because of the leverage that they can create. And because I mean, there's just so many pieces I could go on and on about how great it is being at a good network. And I'll just name one piece that's just so critical is on the advertising side. It takes a lot to sell these big advertisers on the value of becoming a sponsor, you know? And so we have a whole department dedicated to that. And we've got Gimlet Creative that's focused on creating compelling ad content instead of just reading from a script, like trying to break out of the mold and do interesting content that listeners, that's specific to each show that listeners actually want to listen to. And I think our ads, for the most part, are pretty compelling. So like, I think that's working you do all these different things and you end up with this end product that feels premium, feels great to the end user. And then the sponsors on the show feel like they're getting this extra special, you know, valet treatment as a sponsor. And you end up, you know, being able to charge them more as a result. And of course it makes for a, a profitable endeavor, but that just that piece alone is so hard to do on your own. And because we have an entire department sales and Gimlet creative dedicated to that, I can focus on building the show and making the show as good as it possibly can be. And I would say 
like the transition's been really, really challenging to go from an independent show to a show on Gimlet Media. I'll say this, this is the best way to, to describe what it was like, is it's like you go in and when you have such high expectations for what a company like Gimlet produces on the outside, being fans of, you know, all of their shows. And then all of a sudden you you kind of assume that they have this like secret sauce, secret recipe mm. that when you join the crew, they're going to let you in, you know, and they're going to show you how to make your show better. And the show is better, but it wasn't that like we joined and they gave us these 10 things to make the show better. They felt that the thing that we had created on our own before joining Gimlet was really, really good in itself. And they wanted us to keep doing it how we were doing it. Mm. And so that was like literally just like an expectation thing where like I had a different expectation from what the reality was when I went into it. And no harm done. Like we were the first independently produced show that they brought on Gimlet Media. So, you know, we were all learning through that process. But now today there's a really clear feedback loop. You know, I'm talking with the editorial team. I call them the brain trust, the editorial yeah, trust at Gimlet. Yeah. And uh, it's just this room full of really, really smart people where if you're having a problem with a certain episode or with like the theme of like this, a series of episodes, they will often have like really good ideas on how to fix it. And they've just solved so many problems at an editorial level with different episodes and shows. And a lot of them have, you know, public radio backgrounds at This American Life or, you know, Radio Lab at WNYC. And so like, they just have all of this knowledge to, to pull from. And so you can kind of pull from that at times. That system for getting that feedback wasn't well-defined in the beginning. And that was, I think, one of the bigger challenges for me was feeling like, are we doing this right? Are we a Gimlet quality show? You know, like, are we good enough? Yeah, so craving that validation sounds like, especially early on, I know everyone can relate to that. It's one thing to get picked, but are they going to keep you around or is it working? <laughs> yeah, because you've seen shows get canceled and you're like, am I going to be a show that gets canceled? And For sure. I love your concept, like the reference to Brain Trust. I'm thinking immediately of Ed Catmull and uh, Creativity Inc. And they do that at Pixar where they have this kind of crew of people who don't have a lot of direct power over a movie, but they have a tremendous amount of resource and influence that every producer and director have access to when they when they're being entrusted to to do well with it sounds like that's similar and i've heard this described at gimlet as well like that's you just need a lot of folks to it's hard to solve these problems but these problems are very consistent i'm curious do you think it's possible to put together for folks who don't have access to a gimlet or a pixar could people put together their own kind of brain trust like an informal group of people like is that is that something that folks should aspire to or is it just too complicated it would be possible my gut tells me that like the best people at that are already in brain trusts at various, you right. know, podcast networks or storytelling places around. I mean, I think for someone who's independent, so Megan Tan, she put together a sheet of independent for hire editors. Hmm. And so I, you know, I don't think that she vetted them or anything. She just felt like, where do we go if you're an independent show that's trying to find editors for your show mm. when like they're in such high demand that they end up getting, you know, a good ones get snatched up. And you probably don't know this, but like the public radio talent pool and the people that have been doing this for a long time and are really proficient in it is really tiny. Mm. And so there's this whole new generation of people that are like, I'm interested in this. I want to do it now that there's like a market for this thing. Teach me, you know, but there's just not that many people who are teachers and those that are 
you know, really, really valuable to places like Gimlet. So finding that kind of alternative road, I think you just have to work with what you have, right? I mean, for me, it was finding, you know, Devin Taylor, our editor on the show. And I remember having a conversation with her after she listened to one of those first episodes, like the the raw version of of the recording. And I was just like, how do I take this thing that's that's live, that's happening in a room and turn it into a narrative story? You know, normally narrative, it's like this happened then this happened then this happened. And it's over the span of several days or several months. And like you're waiting for things to happen. There's events, there's plot twists. How do we do that with a thing that happened in an hour? How do we create that? And she was like, oh, that's easy. Like it's the, the rules are it's not any different. It's just something that happened in the room. And like, you have to think smaller. You have to think about the subtleties of what happened in the room and like show where the tension is or show where things are different or show if the conversation changed after a certain thing was brought up. And this of course plays out differently in every single episode because they're all so unique, but she saw the vision for the thing when I was like, I think that this can be a narrative driven show, but I don't know how the hell to actually do it. So anyway, I'm kind of getting into the weeds here. But the broader point is that like, I don't know that it's going to be easy to find. It certainly isn't going to be easy to create a brain trust from scratch. But all you need is like one other person or two other people to like help listen to your work and have different ideas. Because when you're so head down, you know, into the weeds with a thing, you can't see the big picture oftentimes. Or like you did in the beginning, but then when you got so caught up in it, you can't you can't zoom back out very well. You're just too emotionally attached to like the thing that you're creating. And I think this applies in so many different creative mediums. And so you need someone that you can trust to look at the thing you've created and say, Hey, are you sure that this approach was actually the right one? You know, now that I'm listening to it, I don't think that worked. And that's why we go through so many different edits of every episode is to like, see if the thing we thought would work actually worked and like take feedback from someone who wasn't doing all of the, you know, moving every single word and like trying to write the thing. And I know that there are so many people out there who aspire to, to create better radio or to create better writing or to, but they aren't seeking out the advice of people who may have hard advice for them that they don't want to hear, but is like the exact thing they need to hear. Maybe you don't get that brain trust, but try to find at least that one person. Yeah. It's funny. We, we spent a lot of time at Faster Mind talking about that that disinterested party that that's not that they're not interested but they're neutral and they're less yeah. kind of invested in the project people are working on and they get together weekly where we have a hot seat model where if it's my week this week i get to kind of share what my problem or opportunity or whatever i'm up against or where i'm st- maybe i'm not stuck but i i just want to make sure sh- i want to get the feedback loop get notes yeah. in your world and we found that it's it's amazing how everyone knows what it's like to be a consumer when it's not their product. And it's this whole, like, if I'm creating a thing, I know what the value is, or at least what I believe the value is, but I have no idea what it's like on the other side of the transaction experientially, because I'm, I'm compromised. I'm already, Oh, exactly. I'm so locked in. And, and, but almost anybody who's thoughtful and cares can probably give feedback. You don't want to take all the notes, but man, it sure does seem like if you don't have some kind of feedback loop built into your creative project, and I think you could do it on your own. I don't think you have to join Mastermind to do it. But man, it, I don't know how I would create anything in life if I didn't have some kind of, I'd be stuck in an echo chamber if I didn't have something else. Is, is that a little what you're pointing to? Like if you can't get a brain trust, at least get some friends. <laughs> yeah, at least get some friends. If you're on a budget, if you can't pay the person, I do think it's better to pay the person because like they're going to like really dig into the thing 
and like hash it out with you because they're a little bit more invested than like your casual observer who's not that invested in your thing. Yeah. But I mean, if you're on a budget, like we'll use the podcast example because it's the easiest one. But if if you have two people doing a podcast about, I don't know, model trains and you each appreciate model trains and the thing the other person is doing, like maybe listen to each other's episodes and like give feedback, like find someone you can kind of trade that feedback with. And like maybe that would help the thing go to the next level. I don't know anything about model trains, but <laughs> when I start my podcast, I'm calling you. Okay. So two things I want to finish up with. One is, is there anything that looking back you do different? I know the outcome worked out. Like I know you're happy with how things have played and continue to play, but I also wonder if you could separate the outcome from your decision-making along the way, is there anything that you look back and go, yeah, that was when I'd shift and maybe there's a lesson in there somehow. It's hard because I think that with the creative process, it's like, it's because of those mistakes, like what you learn, you don't learn the thing unless you go through the mistakes. And as much as I I wish I could have leapfrogged some of those things. I mean, I started the show originally with Sheil Manat, an investor out in Silicon Valley back in 2015. We published 55 episodes of the show before we finally made the leap and got four investors who were willing to commit on the spot and like create this live model of like, are we going to get funding or not? And like, that's what leveled up the show. But we did 55 episodes over a year and a half. Those episodes are no longer live anymore. There was no way I was going to go straight to the live investment model where maybe it's possible, but I just didn't have the network. I didn't have the people. It was because of those 55 episodes that like, I know some people really liked them, but, and, and I know we're our own worst critics, but I did not like the, like once we found the show, once the show became what it is today, I started despising those old episodes. Mm. I feel bad because like I've always been told and taught not to despise small beginnings, but it, it felt like it was somehow like making what we created, like it was somehow tainting the like overall picture of this thing we built. So maybe I'm wrong there. And I feel like there's probably 10 ways in which I am wrong, but that, that was how I felt about the thing. But at the same time, I cherish what I learned through those episodes and I have no idea how, I don't think it was possible for me to, to jump straight to the live pitches happening in a room without going through that. I mean, like we met all the investors who ended up becoming the core investors on our show through those first 55. Mm. So I wish I could give you something. But. No, well, you gave me a ton of that because I think some of what I'm hearing is there aren't any shortcuts. And actually, if folks are slogging it out in a space that they're frustrated with, that maybe they should just keep slogging. Like that whole Churchill quote, if you're going through hell, keep going. And I know yeah. there's folks who are listening who are experiencing that kind of dynamic. And I think that to even just know that there's meaning in the hard beginnings, I think that's important for folks or even hard middles. I wouldn't say keep going if you're like slogging it out because I think there's like a... I will say this. There was a point after those 55 episodes where we knew, I mean, it was the getting to the point where I was just like every day talking to my wife, like, is this the thing? Mm. Like, is, is this going to really work out? Like we're doing it, but it's just not really growing. Like, what are we doing wrong? And I finally just, I got fed up with my own show and decided we're either going to make real live investments happen on the show or we're going to quit. Like we're done because like, it's just not working. I'm not, I'm becoming disinterested in my own damn show. That's a problem, right? I think in many ways we're creating things for ourselves and that's okay. Like a lot of people want to build stuff for other people and like, who is your target audience? And like, those are all really important questions to ask. But I think like an underutilized 
thing is to just create something that you'll actually like. And if you really think critically about it, as I did more and more over time, I realized I was creating something that like, I don't know that I really liked that much. And so we had this kind of come to Jesus moment where it was like, this isn't worth it unless we take it up a notch. And so like we threw, you know, I mean, it was a big bet. Like we pre-sold advertising for this new version of the show. Once we knew we had investors who were doing it and that funded the recording of the thing, you know? And so like I was selling, selling, selling and like leverage, you know, I was totally leveraged out. Um, I was about to run out of money from my company that I'd sold in 2015. It was a really, really scary, rough time. It was because I was like to the point of quitting that I decided to kind of make this one last ditch effort to make the thing better. That's what even brought us where we are right now. So I especially love that because my follow-up question was going to be, when do you know when to quit, right? Like hmm. I, my, I've told the story before. My wife grew up with Gwen Stefani as family friends. And Gwen and I aren't friends. We're, met her several times, but Tammy knows her very well. And mm-hmm. I was at Gwen's house right after Tragic Kingdom broke. For And for you kids at home, you don't even know what that album is. But it was <laughs> kind of their big break. They had been a band for 10 years. And I asked Gwen, like, what were you 10 doing? 10 years before Tragic yeah, Kingdom? Tragic Kingdom, 10 years in. Wow. And I said, what were you doing six months ago? And she said, I was at Cal State Fullerton taking home ec classes, thinking about quitting the band. Last I checked, I think she did 300 million just from her perfume <laughs> line. Uh, like, <laughs> you know, like it's so right. there's, a, there's a sense in which like she was slogging it out, but she loved the work. So she was thinking about quitting the band, but she lo- like, I love what you're saying that you, you, we need to have like a heartbeat in there somewhere. I do have a kind of a, another quick question is, I like when you introduce the idea of if this happens, I'm staying. If this doesn't happen, I'm quitting. How important is that kind of personal ultimatum? I'm sure there are stories of people that didn't come to that moment and are are plenty successful. But I think that that's a, a very common. All I have is my my journey to go off of. But I, I suspect it's not that uncommon, especially when you're building something from the ground up and you don't have that budget and you don't have that team. To bring it back to a point that you said at the very, very beginning, which I thought was really interesting and true, but from a different perspective about just like trekking forward and like continuing to build the thing, even though you're like selling it to different parties and like you're hoping that you get, you know, the big break, et cetera, but you're still doing the thing and building the thing and like reminding people, hey, we're still here doing this thing and like looking for opportunities. It kind of reminds me of in the startup world, people are always talking about, should I bootstrap? Should I build the thing and like own my own destiny forever? Mm. Or should I raise VC or venture capital and, and like grow this thing really, really fast? Like what's the right decision for me? And while I think that like some people, the right answer is, yeah, you should always bootstrap. Don't ever, you know, raise capital. But I think for a lot of people, the answer is like, bootstrap the thing, keep working on it while you pitch investors. And I know it takes some time away to pitch investors, but like you're either going to be successful in raising money from investors, or you're going to keep building the thing while building relationships with investors and getting advice and feedback from investors. Oftentimes they're very smart people who have built businesses before, and you don't really have to decide whether to take their money until there's an offer on the table. You know, right, right? And so I think there really is a lot of truth to like, I tell this to people all the, all the time and it, I think it works. I just told this to my wife here recently about something we were discussing, but like, you don't have to have the end result figured out before starting. Mm. 
And I know that sounds so basic and I think a lot of people say it, but I think it's, we so often get just caught up in our minds with how is this thing going to work out? How are all the pieces going to fit together? And you just got to start. You just got to start knowing that you'll, you'll figure it out as you go. You'll meet the people that'll, that'll help you make the thing a reality, make the thing better and just start. You aren't going to have it figured out business plans are overrated. <laughs> they are. <laughs> now that you have leveled up, and again, I don't want to make it sound like it's a finale. It's you are starting still. Any lessons from the top? I mean, you're, Gimlet is the top of the game. Any Anything perspective-wise that you'd huh, yeah. add? Advi- like picture a distant cousin who you really like and you're sitting around having coffee and you're at a different stage in your career than they are and you want to give some good input. Any kind of parting words you'd, you'd share with your cousin? Well, I would say this. Whatever you think is the top, if you were to get there, you'd realize there's another top, mm. right? Even I think of Alex Bloomberg. And like in his mind, there's somebody else that sits at the top. There's somebody else that he's looking to as like the master of radio. There's someone that taught him, right? And I think we don't give ourselves enough credit. Like we just think of like people as like these geniuses that like, if I had this thing, I would be better if I was as smart as this person or if I was on Gimlet, you know, for example, like all of my problems would be solved. And it's like, no, 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 it wouldn't. Like give yourself some credit because like you're actually probably a lot smarter than you think. You just need to like put as much effort into the thing. Like it's almost like when the pitch joined Gimlet, all of a sudden we held ourselves to a higher standard. Even though nothing else changed, like in many ways I brought the team with me who was working on the show before, not the entire team, but a few of them. And we got better at our jobs just because we held ourselves to a higher standard. We were like, oh, well, we're, we're here on Gimlet now. Try holding yourself to that higher standard now. Why do you need to join Gimlet before holding yourself to those standards? We just find a way always to like come up with excuses for why we want, like how we could, if we were in this position, we would be better. Or if, if I was so-and-so, you know, I don't know. It's, probably more there but that's what i've got right now we're gonna stop right there dude that that last <laughs> part was just golden golden you think so oh are you kidding like even the tap 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 and the the air i'll let that breathe a little bit I, that's my story i mean i you know it's so funny as we're talking i'm like oh man i just need to hang out and get mentored by this kid who's a million years younger than me and i'm learning so much and this honestly that's the reason i do this whole thing is right i'm in perpetual learn mode but man this has been such a gift and a treat get to know you and and you've been so generous to me from day one so thank you so much man this is episode two season four of converge the business of creativity podcast converge podcast is brought to you by fastermind.co where we help entrepreneurs go from knowing to doing get started free today by finding out your fastermind owner score go to fastermind.co music for this episode provided by triplescoopmusic.com what does your story sound like this episode was mixed and produced by podcast fast track